Baptists. Good morning. Is this thing on? Good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning. Allow me uh, to read our scripture again. If you have a copy of, of God's Word, we turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is so good to be with you, First Baptist. It feels like a long time coming. Uh, we're just so grateful uh, for the opportunity to, to come before you this morning uh, to, to preach. Grateful to, uh, to Travis for the invitation. I'm just so thankful um, that we're here in Huntsville. It's been a wild, a wild ride over the past couple of weeks. Um, we just appreciate your prayers so much as we have closed the chapter of life and ministry in, in Tennessee and as we've uh, begun to lay down roots in Huntsville. Uh, we're just so grateful for your love uh, and support. And I'm not ready to say roll tide yet. Um, that may be a, a matter of prayer for some of you, uh, especially not this year, but uh, keep, keep working on us. We'll, maybe we'll, we'll get there. A lot's changed in, in our lives, especially over the past six or seven months. Um, not even two weeks ago, our family moved from Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, and I'll tell you what, everything is just a little bit slower and more complicated with a baby. It really is, especially when you, when you move. But thankfully, by the grace of God, boxes, boxes are unpacked and pictures are on the wall. Um, we're just grateful to be here. It's funny, my first day in the office was actually Monday, so it's been a busy week. Um, didn't exactly think through what it would be like to preach on my first Sunday, uh, but again, thankful for the opportunity. But a new job, a new house, a new city, um, and as some of you know, earlier this year, we welcomed our first child into our family. Um, it's been a, a wild and beautiful ride, especially being new parents. Um, our son is finally at that point where he's taking in the world around him. Uh, it really is amazing to watch. He's not just this cute, chubby vegetable anymore. He's this thinking, moving, sometimes irritable uh, little, little human. Uh, one of our, our favorite things to do together is read. We love to read together. Uh, we read The Three Little Pigs uh, just last week for the first time. Um, like most things uh, we do at this point, I'm way more into it than he is. He, he tolerates it. I think he enjoys the picture or at least chewing on the pictures, uh, but that's, that's about it. But I love the simplicity of, of children's books. Um, side note, what you're, what you're paying per word for some of these books is outrageous. There's got to be a lot of money in children's literature. We've got this one book about a lion. The, the basic idea is this, this is a lion. Um, it's, a, it's nine pages. It can't be, be 30 words. But they're, they're easy to read. They're easy to understand. Here's how you sum up the three little pigs. 32 pages and two sentences. Three pigs built three homes from different materials. One day... A wolf came down and blew down the first two homes, but not the third home made of bricks. It's simple, but if you dig down deeper, the moral lesson for children is profound, and for us too. Hard work and hard work pays off, and perseverance pays off. The simplest route is not always 
the best route to take. And of course, there's stay away from wolves. You know how bad the, the wolf problem is in, in Huntsville. But it's, it's simple, right? But, but reading about hard work and perseverance is different than living a life that's marked by hard work and perseverance. Each of us have built homes out of straw and we've watched them crumble. A relationship that falls apart because it wasn't built on mutual respect and understanding. A business decision that goes south because the goal was expediency and profits and not integrity and sustainability. I also know that we've all been through seasons where we've sacrificed and saved and endured. A time in your life when your friends questioned why you changed careers, when your family thought you were out of your mind, when you felt like no one was beside you. If that resonates with you, then you know the satisfaction of seeing that hard work pay off. When you witness your child to go on to be the first one in your family to go to college, starting your own business, realizing your dream, seeing what you've built last. The story Jesus tells us today in Luke chapter 6 is simple. The message is short and clear but hard to follow. Here it is when we listen and put Jesus' words into action. We're able to withstand the storms that come. When we listen and put Jesus' words into action, we're able to withstand the storms that come. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? We need to pay attention to Jesus' words maybe now more than ever. It feels like the waves are crashing around us every week, every month, every year, harder and harder. And no one's immune. No one's insulated. It's not a matter of if there is trouble in the world. That's not the question most of us are asking. The question on our hearts is how much worse can it actually get? This is the time for us to reflect and ask, what kind of house are we building? Do we have the foundation to withstand the storms? This was just a few months ago, but right when we feel like we reached a point where we had accepted uh, COVID-19, we had our minds wrapped around the pandemic, we accepted this new normal, people were feeling safe again, and then don't blink, but then Russia invades Ukraine rising inflation, more trouble. It's hard to believe that that was eight months ago. We've accepted this horrific new reality in the East, but the trouble kept coming. More mass shootings. Not again, Lord. And then a significant decision from the Supreme Court. More upheaval, more division, more trouble. And I could go on. But only recently have we begun to understand the impact of the pandemic and the many other stressors that have overwhelmed us over the past three years. A report released by the World Health Organization earlier this year reported a 25% increase in anxiety and depression worldwide. This is especially prevalent among young, among young adults as they anticipate a future that appears more and more uncertain than generations before. And each of us have experienced this to some degree, anxiety, worry, loneliness, fear of infection, suffering and death, grief, financial worries. How much more can we take? And we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus tells us as much. He says, you'll face trouble in the world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We need an amen from somebody. This is the foundation of our hope. I'll be honest, I've been dreading all week preaching on this passage. Maybe you're like me. It's a lot easier for me to read about Jesus than actually do what he says. There's a few passages that I want to skip over, and this is one of them. This is not a, an easy, comfortable set of verses to read today. There's not a soft landing at the end. We want to think that this message is for someone else, that he's talking about someone else, but he's not. 
And if we step back and look at chapter 6 in its entirety, the challenge isn't made any easier for us. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't here to make friends. He's here to make followers. This is not a sales pitch for lukewarm discipleship. If you're looking for an easier commitment, then go somewhere else. Beginning in verse 20 through verse 49 is what scholars call the Sermon on the Plains. You'll notice the similarities to the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus starts off strong. He says, forget what you know. In the kingdom of God, the rules are a little bit different. It's the poor that will inherit a kingdom that will never end. When you're hungry, when you're weeping, even when people hate you and insult you, you're actually blessed and not broken. Not because of what the world thinks of you, but because of the power of the one that's within you. He doesn't stop there. It gets worse. Be careful if you are rich. Be careful if you are well-fed and well-liked. You've already received your reward. It doesn't get much better than it is for you right now. Oh, and don't just tolerate your enemies. Anybody can do that. Love them. Pray for them. That family member, we all have one that keeps asking you for money. They say they're going to pay you back, but they never do. Love them. The coworker who won't stop pulling you into conversations that break other people down. If you don't know who that is, that may be you. Love them. Pray for them. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of the last time I said a really good prayer for Vladimir Putin. And you may have survived so far, but you won't survive this next part. Don't judge people. You thought I was talking about someone else. Here's what you do first. Start by looking in a mirror. You're not so perfect either. And I don't care what you say. I care about your fruit. I care about what overflows from a heart that's changed by the love of God, and you can't fake fruit. A lot of us want the people around us to think that our garden is full to overflowing, but the pictures you post on social media aren't, aren't fooling anybody. You can't fake fruit. If it wasn't clear before, it is now. Jesus isn't here to make friends. He's here to make followers. And by the time we get to verse 49, no one is left untouched. Everyone is on the same side of the line. He's destroyed this us versus them way of thinking that makes us believe that this message is for someone else. It's really us and them. The problem isn't those people. It's people. And I'm one of them. And so are you. Because it's easy to say the right things, believe the right things. But Jesus doesn't care about what you believe. He cares about what you do. Here's the problem. There's a lot of Christians that are good at listening to Jesus, but they don't live like they've ever actually met Jesus. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. If you don't do the will of my Father, I don't know you. Jesus says in Matthew 7, I will know you by your fruit. We are what we do, no matter what we believe, no matter what we say. The the psychiatrist Carl Jung says, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Jesus isn't looking for friends. He's looking for followers. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This passage is calling us to look inward, to reflect and ask, what kind of life are we building? Are we building a life on the only one that can give us what we truly need? And we don't need to question Jesus on this. Jesus knows people. Jesus knows about the human experience to know pain and temptation. We remember Jesus in the garden. He knew that the crucifixion awaited him, and so he begged his Father to make another way. If there's an easier way for your will to be done, he said. Jesus has already been tempted in the wilderness. He's already been offered all of the power and riches and glory that the world has to offer. Jesus knows that Withstanding storms takes more than a desperate prayer. It takes a dedicated life, a firm foundation of faith. 
And Jesus knows our hearts. He always speaks to what our hearts desire most. Jesus knows that we're built to worship. It's in our DNA. We're made by God for God. St. Augustine wrote that you've made us for yourself, O God, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. We're fundamentally loving and desiring creatures. We're created to love, to worship. Martin Luther wrote that whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. That is what you worship. We are what we do. We are what we worship. The problem is when we build our lives on things that don't last, when what our heart clings to is not aligned with the heart of God, our worship will be directed elsewhere. How we build, what we build our lives on affects the direction of our worship because we will always build our lives so that they'll point us to what we truly desire. These desires aren't always bad. We want our children to be competitive and attractive for colleges, and so we fight the temptation every time the season comes around to choose competitive sports over Sunday worship. And some are. We compromise how much we're willing to tithe based on our savings goal and not on what belongs to God. We are what we worship. We build our lives to serve whatever God that is. In a 2011 Digital Trends article, the reporter Trevor Mogg discusses how neuroscientists attempted to answer the question, do people really worship brands? That's a great question. What do you think? Do people really worship brands? Maybe yes. You probably think like me. That's the only way to explain why people sleep overnight in front of a store to get the latest $1,200 phone each and every year. So they looked at scans of the brains of people of faith as they looked at religious imagery then how the brain responded to particular brands. This is what they found. He wrote that Apple products, and this is nothing against Apple, they make great products, are triggering the same parts of our brain as religious imagery triggers in a person of faith. That's shocking, right? That on a neurological level, we worship brands. It's not easy to admit that we worship rival gospels or religions, even if we do, even if we don't think that we do. We worship the God of materialism and popularity, and so we cut corners, we compromise our faith, anything that'll serve that God. We have to remember what Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. One of the primary purposes of discipleship, why I hope that we're here today, is to tune our hearts to the heartbeat of Jesus so that the entirety of our lives, our desires, will point to him. Friends, if you're tired of pursuing things that are leaving you empty, build your life on Jesus. It's not too late to choose a different way. This morning, I want to offer three statements uh, for you to reflect on as we meet today and, and this week as you leave from this place, as we think about what it looks like to build our lives on Jesus, our firm foundation. First is to be honest about what you're building. Be honest about what you worship what your life says to the people around you about what you love. Only you with guidance from the Holy Spirit can answer this question for yourself. We need to start each day praying for the Spirit to search our hearts, to reveal any way, any desire that's not of God. We need to pray like the psalmist to search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the only way that we can know if what we think we believe is truly reflected in what we want and how we spend our time. The professor Jeff Dyer points out the connection or the disconnect that we're scared to confront. 
He says that we're quick to point out the hypocrisy in others, but not ourselves. He writes that if we did confront the truth about ourselves, you'd run a mile and you'd take an immediate and profound dislike to the person in whose skin you'd learn to sit quite tolerably all these years. Dyer goes on, he says, this is because your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. Our habits aren't just things that we do. They say something about who we are to the people around us, and they do something to us. Our habits and routines shape our values. It's how we direct our energy and time. I love the missional spirit of First Baptist the ways that you're serving individually and as a community in your small groups and Sunday school classes. I've already seen how you're serving as you prepare for the living Christmas tree and Operation Christmas Child. There's different ways that the church looks outward as we move towards Advent. This is a shameless plug, but we still need volunteers next Saturday to pack boxes. And I know so many of you serve in whatever ways that you serve others. That habit shapes the heart to be more loving more giving, even without knowing it. The more you serve others, the more open you are to caring about the people around you. As believers, we give part of our income back to God, not because we want to, but because we need to. We hold so tightly to our money that when we give a portion back to God, we're stepping out in faith, trusting that not only God will use what we're giving, but that God will provide and give you what you need as you give. The more you give with what you have, your time and your money, the more you trust God with what you have, the more that you'll find that you have to give, the more joy you'll experience in your giving. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, give cheerfully or whoever sows generously will reap generously. Give cheerfully and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. This isn't always how we approach discipleship. We approach discipleship like education. From the top down, we train the mind, hoping that the heart and ultimately our lives will follow. We need to work from the bottom up as well, developing habits and routines that shape our hearts and train our desires. Education that goes hand in hand with faithful living. The second is that if you aren't happy with what or how you're building, build something different. The greatest news we can hear today is that nothing is beyond God's ability to redeem. God works for good in all things. You may have spent the last 20 years worshiping your career. You've compromised the integrity of your build in the pursuit of power and success. Your marriage might be collapsing. You forgot how to put your partner first. You're no longer doing the little things that make a marriage last. If you're reflecting on your life today and you realize that you're building your life on a weak foundation, today's the day to change. Build something different. God works for good in all things. Brothers and sisters, to keep doing what you've always done means that you will be where you've always been. Ben Bosinger knows this truth. He knew for a long time that he should forgive his father. And a therapist and pastors and priests had told him that he finally believed it. For the first 11 years of my life, all I remember was fear, he said. It was life or death fear. I feared for the the lives of my brother and sister and for the life of my mother. My father was the angriest, most violent human that I've ever known. Ben talks about the anger that he carried around for decades. He didn't trust people. It affected all of his relationships. He turned to drugs and alcohol. 
He resisted forgiving his father because he believed he would be just one more person to let him off the hook for what he had done. He blamed his father for every problem in his life, his shortcomings as a father and husband. Ben finally realized that he had built his entire life on resentment and pain, and he had enough. Even though his father never apologized or admitted the abuse, he decided to forgive his father. One day Ben built up the courage to visit his father. He drove up the driveway on his motorcycle. His father came outside, and they started talking about motorcycles. They both really liked motorcycles. At the same time, they bent down and checked out the greasy engine. And in that moment, side by side, Ben forgave his father. He looked at his wrinkled face, his long gray hair, the signs of aging. He was human. He was so flawed. He loved motorcycles. And somewhere in all of that, Ben forgave his father. The weight was lifted. He felt like he could breathe again. Ben reclaimed his story when he forgave his father. He realized he was only responsible for his actions. He was no longer the victim. That doesn't mean he wasn't victimized, but that experience no longer had power over his life. He made the choice to build differently. The foundation of pain was replaced by peace and freedom. It's true that only God can change our hearts, but we have to take that first step in obedience and faith. What steps do you need to take to build differently? this week. Third is to dig deep to withstand the storm. The one who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rocks survived the storm. The storms in our lives get more difficult, more pervasive. We need to dig deeper in our faith. We need to invest wholeheartedly in disciplines of faith, disciplines that shape our inner life. Oswald Chambers writes that the battle is won and lost in the secret places of our souls. We have practices in place that bring us into the presence of God where our heart and mind is focused on the God that is fighting for us. We'll go through the day reassured that whatever we face, the battle is already won. Those things that nurture the soul, practices that connect our heart to the heart of God, prayer and meditation, studying God's word, these will deepen our reliance on the Holy Spirit. You may reflect on your life this morning and realize that God has given you the gift of a season where trouble and tragedy have been absent from your life. One of the life's guarantees is that trouble and difficulty is right around the corner. We can save and prepare and use all the power and expertise that's available to us to keep us safe and secure, to put as much distance from trouble as possible. But as the playwright William Goldman said, life is pain. And anyone who says differently is probably selling something. If I'm speaking to you, don't grow complacent during this season. Use this time to prepare for the difficulty that will eventually come. Use this gift to encourage and support those in your life that are struggling and in need of care. To lend your strength to someone who's hurting. God never gives us anything to be used just for ourselves, but to be given away to benefit others. Proverbs 11.25 says, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. As you give, God will refresh your soul. If you have a good routine, you feel like you and Jesus have a pretty good thing going on, dig deeper, ask bigger questions. Don't grow complacent and comfortable where you are. God's not done with you yet. If you've been involved in a small group for a number of years, maybe it's time for you to ask what it would look like 
for you to lead a small group, to take more responsibility in your community of faith. If you've been a Christian for a while and haven't been baptized, take that next step. If you don't have a regular pattern of, of giving and serving, make that a priority this week. If you've been attending this church for months and for years, maybe it's time to take that next step to ask what it would mean to be a part of this community of faith right in the heart of our city. Whatever skill set or passion you have, I know there's a place for you to serve here. Discipleship is a gradual shaping of our lives so that we look more and more like Jesus than we did before, and it's work that's never done. So dig deeper. Friends, I don't know where this message has landed today. I know that some of you are exhausted and overwhelmed, and overwhelmed if you are someone who feels beaten down by the storms you're facing, if you feel like the foundation is shaking underneath you, that the walls are about to break, and you want to let go. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. It's not, but his burden is light. Build your life on Jesus. He's worthy. He's already overcome anything that you have faced, are facing, or will face. He is able. Church, to keep doing what you've always done means that you will be where you have always been. Today is the day to be honest about what you're building. To, to be honest that maybe you've been building a life by yourself for yourself. You haven't given yourself over completely to the only one that can give you what you really need the only one that's worthy of your worship. You were created to worship. If you don't take anything else away from our time together, remember that. To worship anyone or anything else is to miss out on your purpose, what you're created for. Today is the day to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I haven't been acting like you are. The people around me don't know, but I want to change. I know that to worship you, to live for you is sweeter than anything else in the world. I need your help to change. Whatever God is doing in your life, however the Spirit is speaking to you in this moment, don't wait till tomorrow to respond. Share it with someone. Share it with one of your pastors. I'll be down here in the front in just a moment. One of your friends. You don't have to do it alone. How will you respond today? You can respond right where you are or by joining me in the front of the sanctuary after a short prayer. Build your life on Jesus. He's all you need. Let's pray. Jesus, cornerstone, our sure foundation, author and perfecter of our faith, you are worthy of our worship, worthy of all we have to give. We proclaim this morning with all that we are that to worship you, to build our lives on you, and to build our lives on anything else is to miss out on what we were created for. We want to live for you with all that we have and with all that we are. Holy Spirit, you are at work in this place. Move in our midst.